Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights, our weekly podcast about the world of achievers and achievements uh, in all fields of human endeavors. Uh, coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, this evening, I'm very excited about our guest here, a business associate and friend I've known for a while, Mr. Frederick Blockton. Uh, Fred is president of one of the local uh, at one of the local uh, computer companies here called uh, Uptet, Up, uh, Upnet Technologies. And we'll get into that uh, as soon as I bring Fred on here shortly in a few minutes. Uh, in the meantime, remember to go out and uh, hit the like buttons and subscribe buttons and notification buttons and uh, donate to the podcast. Uh, visit our online store. We got nice little souvenirs. I like to hold up my little cup here, but we got nice ones out here, bright lights. Um, but okay, so before we bring Fred on, you know, as is my custom, uh, spend a few minutes here talking about some things that's happened in the news today uh, during the week. I guess uh, two things that uh, come to mind. A lot of things, but I focus on first of all. Uh, Georgia uh, beat Alabama in the college football uh, college football playoffs. Uh, so they're national champs now. They had a second uh, shot at them. Uh, also in the news uh, was the death of uh, actor Sidney Poitier. Now, I bring those two things up because of this. Uh, a, a lot of people nowadays, uh, they don't understand that when the era I grew up in during the civil rights movement. Uh, Alabama, for a while, was an all-white uh, players football team. The Southeast Conference well, was not recruiting black players. And so if you look back in history, uh, you'll find a lot of the uh, upper Midwest, uh, northern uh, colleges being football champions and things because they were going down uh, recruiting black athletes. And what really turned the tide in college football uh, well, one of the major events was when USC with Sam the Bam Cunningham went down to play to Alabama. They beat them pretty bad. And some people think that that was the biggest uh, event as far as stimulating the integration of uh, the Southern colleges down there. But what I like to, uh, two things, the points I like to make. Uh, one is that when I was growing up, people don't realize this. We very seldom saw uh, actors of color uh, either. Uh, on TV or uh, in the news. And so that has uh, changed quite a bit during uh, our lifetime. And then the other thing that always uh, uh, stick out to me is that uh, the Georgia uh, quarterback, uh, no one expected for him to be a top recruit and go to a top program. And uh, just seeing the interaction between the different players, white, black, color didn't matter. I just seen the camaraderie, the hugging and things among the coaches and things. And, you know, it, it took too long to get there. And I always had the uh, feeling that there was a lot of people who wanted to do the right thing and, and promote diversity. But it takes a lot of courage to go against the social norms. And then a lot of time that's what was going on. And they just needed some people to do that. And I guess the whole uh, summary of this uh, is that, you know, a lot of times, and I, I just believe that uh, you don't judge someone uh, by where they are, uh, but you judge them by how far they've come. I think that's a better judge of people. And a lot of times I think we're hard on ourselves as a country 
because we don't look at how far we've come. We tend to focus on where we at. And that's my two cents worth there. Uh, congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs for being national champions. Uh, we've come a long way since the old days where none of the Southeastern Conference would even recruit black players. And now they're almost exclusively black. And I think that's a, a good uh, indication of the type of country that we are. So I'll leave it there and uh, bring on uh, my guest for this evening, uh, Mr. Fred. Frederick Blockton. Uh, hey, Frederick, uh, welcome to Bright Lights. Uh, good to see you, man. Hey, good to see you as well, Lacey. Hey, good to see your face. Good to see you uh, and, and hear your voice. Same here, man. And and we do have some history that the audience will probably glean uh, from our interview here. Let me make sure my phone is off and I don't get interrupted by a phone ring. Okay, so Frederick, uh, we go back for a while. I know a little bit about you. Uh, we talked a little bit. Uh, let me just tell my audience this and uh, just don't blush on me, Frederick. Uh, Frederick, I, I, I think I met him through the Richburgs. I think at the time you were vice president of Keystone uh, Computer Solutions. And I just noticed the energy that this young man have. Uh, I noticed the way other people reacted to him, professionals and friends, and he just seemed like the type of person that just would make a great friend. Uh, I, I told him I surmised that he grew up with some sisters around him because uh, he tend to know how to get along with ladies. And, and really, and I'm not saying this from any type of sexist standpoint, but if you grow up with a lot of sisters, you know, you, you just learn, I think, uh, how to uh, get along with women a lot better than I've seen Fred have that. So, but we're not going to focus on that. Let's focus on uh, your achievement in life, where you came from, your family background, the influences in your life. So let's just first talk about where you're from, uh, Frederick, and the family you grew up in, and we'll get into some of the things, your dreams when you were a child. And and I, I sense that you was kind of like a brainy little smart guy growing up, and, and you got a reputation for that, and we'll talk about that. Uh, shortly too. So just give us some background of where you grew up at and the type of family and, you know, uh, your motivations in life and things like that. Sure. Yep. So I grew up in um, uh, Pensacola, Florida, right? Uh, Pensacola is on the west coast of uh, Florida, uh, for those of you that don't know, but that's not the most important part. Uh, so uh, I actually uh, started out in all black uh, elementary school. Uh, Pensacola was very segregated at the time, but I had a strong mother and uh, family, um, you know, makeup. And uh, one of the, the things that we were taught very young is that, you know, it's all about you and uh, not anybody else. Right. So you might, you know, end up in a community, but even though you're in that community, it's still all about you and your drive. And we were taught that at a very young age, uh, we, we started to understand things. So baseline, I grew up in Pensacola, but my grandmother and my great grandmother all had property in Snow Hill, Alabama, right? And so we basically grew up on the farms there because we spent our summers there. We, sent, we spent a lot of time traveling there. It was only like two and a half hours away from uh, Pensacola, but we had a structure and we had a, uh, we were always working. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a time we were, we wasn't working or hustling to make something happen. And uh, I'll tell you uh, just a funny one. Uh, when we were very young, Lacey, 
we we raised pigs and uh, chickens, and you know we had all kinds of stuff. We had a slaughterhouse, all that stuff. But um, <clears throat> my grandmother would buy us pigs when we were young, mm -hmm. and um, you know we weren't a wealthy family uh, by no means, but this is the way we ate, right? By raising our own food, and so, but. Uh, every year she would say, hey, uh, to me and my two sisters, and you, you talk about my two sisters, I have our um, uh, older sister and a younger sister. My older sister is Sylvia. My younger sister is Marie, and they're very have been very influential in my life and success, right? But so my grandmother would say, hey, you guys, you get a pig, right? And then so, you know, Christmas is coming up. So you got these many months, right? Uh, to raise this pig. And then by, you know, November, you know, late November, we're going to sell the pig. And then that's how you're going to have your Christmas money. Right. Mm -hmm. Teaching, teaching us about economics and all of those things. Right. So we remember now we lived in Pensacola. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'd be bugging the heck out of our mom. Right. Mom, we, we got to go feed the pigs. You know, you, you know, we, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Cause this is your Christmas money. <laughs> we we were serious about economics. We were serious right. about economics at a very young age because we had a goal in mind, which is buying these Christmas gifts for ourselves, right? You know what I mean? So that but that really taught us, you know, that was a structure that we were built upon, which was um, you don't sit back and wait on people to do anything for you. You really gotta make and pave your own way, right? And that's what our grandmother, you know, taught us for, you know, right out of the chute, right? And then we had to maintain it and we had to be aware of what was going on with it. And it wasn't, you know, if anything happened to the pig, it wasn't her fault. It was ours, right? Mm -hmm. Responsibility mm -hmm. was taught at a very young age about, you know, all of this stuff, right? So, I don't know. Well, the, you mentioned two things there. First of all, about you. And that's the same way I was raised is that you, it's about you being the best person you can be and being the best at what you do. And then the word work, I think those are two very key things that uh, values that is established in us at a very young age that uh, take has taken me through life. And uh, I think you hit on the theme of self uh, responsibility and accountability. I like that. And we're going to get into another area, but I have to share this. Uh, we too would have pigs, uh, but, uh, either to sell or to butcher. And <laughs> as a young kid, you know, little pigs are kind of cute when they're little, you know, and you kind of fall in love with them, but you know, sooner or later, they're going to be on somebody's plate. So I'm still getting over some of that trauma as an adult. <laughs> I, 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 I really like hearing that. And I mentioned all the time, you know, Fred, if, if I had to do it all over again, I might just have raised my children and my family on a farm because there's some values as far as getting up working and everything else that i really really like that we're missing in the cities and i was telling someone in fact my wife and i was talking about it today uh when i look at my young grandson and i realized that most of the time when he's playing with these children he don't know any of them and i was telling her you know i don't ever remember the time in my life where i was playing with a, a group of children and I didn't know every one of them I was playing with, the number right. one. And then I see the time that they spend inside. You know, growing up down south, 
especially males, we weren't allowed in the house. Oh, uh, oh. We had to be outside. Right. And to see our young men nowadays shut up in these homes and watching TVs and video games and things like that and playing with kids they don't know who threatened to take them out and things like that. Anyway, uh, good background there, Fred. So, so you grow up in a family. You got two sisters. They probably uh, – uh, uh, spoiling you as the only uh male and the middle child and middle son and all that good stuff but uh i hinted on it earlier i suspect you were pretty good students and you had dreams and goals and things while you were going through school uh why don't you tell us about that you know your childhood goals and dreams and uh, how good of a student you were were and how serious you took homework and those type of things yep so um I don't know that I was a, a great student, right? Um, but I was, I, because I was a daydreamer, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I always thought about what I could be in, even in situations in classes. You know, when I was in class, when we talked about things around education and structure, my mind was somewhere else building stuff, right? But what I was really good at in school was math, right? I really understood math and I really understood physics as well, how things were, you know, kind of put together. And because I always wanted to tear stuff, stuff apart, right? Mm -hmm. So, from that aspect, but when it came to like, you know, writing and, you know, all of that stuff, you know, it bored the heck out of me, right? You know, or a lecture, it just, just sit still, uh, kind of bored me. But what happened is I, um, you know, I, I was able to get myself through through high school, but in my junior and senior year, I ended up in this program called DCT, right? And what that did was it, it allowed me to, and, and I had created, I had enough credits, um, mm -hmm. you know, by the grace of God to, to start going and working in my junior and senior year. Uh, I go to school from eight to like uh, 11 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, I was able to go work at this company called Dell Shams, right? And it was kind of a work school program. And I was, a, I ended up being the president of DCT, you know, for uh, our area, um, you know, just by, I always dream, I always wanted to be in charge, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was, you know, I, even when I was in Sunday school at church, you know, I wanted to be in charge. I ended up being the youngest treasurer in our church. Uh, Lutheran church uh, in history, right? Because I wanted to be in charge of something and I've always been that way. So through high school, um, I focused a lot, you know, like I said, on math and, you know, structural things, right? And then I ended up in DCT, which gave me more of a business acumen at a very young age. At the age of 14, I was able to start at this Del Shams company, right? And mm -hmm. learn a lot about... Um, you know, how uh, products are moved and how they're bought and how they're sold and, you know, how they're managed inside of a grocery store. So I went, I had all of these different positions. And uh, even before I graduated high school, Del Shamps wanted me to come to work for them Idaho high school as a manager, right? But my grandmother um, was like, everyone in our family was going to be educated after high school, period. Mm -hmm. Right? So mm -hmm. all of my cousins, um, sisters, every, all the way, everyone below my grandmother is educated. 
wow. in our in our family. And so that was a that was a, a thing. Like I wanted to go to Dale Shamps to go into their management program, uh, mm -hmm. which I thought at that time was very you know fiduciary. It was like, hey, this looks good. Mm -hmm. My grandma was like, what? Are you serious? You guys, you know, school was a very important in our family. Everyone in my family has graduated from some either junior or major college uh, in history. So, but anyway, so from an education standpoint, yeah, it, it was important to me. Um, I never skipped a day in high school for, until senior skip day, right? I, but, I remember senior day. <laughs> I, I got suspended once in my K through 12, and it was next to the last day of graduation. <laughs> and you know why I never did? I was afraid of my mom. I was, I was afraid of my mom. So that's, that's that a, was yeah, a, that's a, uh -huh. So, but even going through high school, I was very, I had to be responsible. My mom had set, she, she had rules, right? Like, you know, hey, there's no, you know, when the lights go out, street lights go out, you had to be home, you know, you were home. There was right. no question about where you were at a certain times. So in your mind, you and you don't you don't realize this. I realize this now, and you do too now, is that those are structural things. Yep. That played well into our later lives when it came to fitting into the work world or the real world situations because right. you you can't break the rules. Right. And, and you grow up with a respect for the rules too, right? And, and, and I think I like the idea. And, I, and word that we don't hear too much uh, nowadays is just the deference to the elder people that we grew up with. To learn right. some deference and how to hold your tongue and the discipline that it takes mm. and things like that. So, it sound like you grew up in that environment. Uh, I heard you also mention a couple of things. First of all, uh, you mentioned the value of education and stressing the education. But you also yep. mentioned the fact that, uh, well, even though you went in there wanting to be or the ruler, but you mentioned the fact even at church that you was involved in church. Tell us a little bit about that. Were you a Sunday school teacher or something like that? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. uh, song choir or whatever. Tell me about your little. Your, tell me about your church experience growing up, Frederick. Yeah, so I, I've always been in church, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I grew up. Uh, my mom was an AME, but. Um, this is a very interesting story. Um, our neighbors across the street from us uh, were new, were Lutheran, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the neighbor, they were a married couple. They didn't have kids, right? And so they took an interest in me and my younger sister. My older sister was, you know, uh, four years older. So she had moved on. She was Baptist, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But we ended up, um, they ended up adopting us and taking us to Lutheran uh, church, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually ended, I ended up growing up Lutheran um, uh, throughout my high school, my young and, and adult life, right? Mm -hmm. um, because And then my neighbor across the street ended up becoming my godfather and mm -hmm. his wife becoming my godmother, right? Mm -hmm. So I've always been in church. And so as I, as I grew up and as I was involved, you know, I got involved. Um, because my mom is always in church and she was always involved. She was always volunteering to do stuff. So I got involved at that level as well. Right. Um, and today, even today coming, you know, years from there to now, uh, I taught Sunday school in St. Paul, Minnesota for the last 12 years, uh, with uh, ninth through 12th graders. And before then I worked with younger kids as well. And I still work with kids. But I'm very spiritually connected, still do church. 
still do my morning meditation. You know, I, I'm very connected to the to the higher power for sure. Yep. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Uh, to teach Sunday school, you need to know a little bit about uh, what you're talking about there, Frederick. And I'm assuming that you have uh, uh, equipped yourself uh, with the verses in the Bible very well. Uh, mm-hmm. So now you, you, you grew up in the church, AME, Lutheran. By the way, uh, I think I've been to just about all kinds of services. And if I recall correctly, the Lutheran had a hour, hour and a half service here. About an hour. hour about an hour, yeah, an hour, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, this is not bad. We start at 11. I'm home for the football out game. Here. Out of there. <laughs> but <laughs> I have to say, though, growing up a Southern Baptist, we I didn't quite know how to process these AME and Lutherans and Catholic, <laughs> Catholic <laughs> folks, but got a lot of respect for them nowadays as I grew and learned them. Okay, so church played, played an important part. You were very good and interested in math and physics and things like that. And somewhere down the line, uh, you decided to go to Florida Institute of Technology. What led to that decision and what did you study and uh, what were you intended to do once you finished Florida Institute yep. of Technology? So um, it started out to be, uh, and it was a, it was a conversation in my senior year in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my living room, uh, in my mom's house. And we were talking about uh, Tampa Technical Institute, which is in Tampa, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and we were talking about engineering school and I was very interested obviously in engineering. And, you know, we we're gonna be studying, you know, uh, forward thinking technology, uh, electronics at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going and uh, completing my degree uh, at Tampa Technical Institute, which turned into a branch of Florida Institute of Technology, right? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up uh, getting my computer engineering degree from there. Uh, with my computer engineering degree, I learned a lot about you know microchips, you know all that stuff. JK flips, flip flops at the mm-hmm. time were coming very becoming very popular because you know we were looking at you know, zeros and five five votes and how we're doing ABCDs and that stuff wasn't even real yet in 19. So I graduated from Florida Institute of Technology in 1979, right? With Mm -hmm. my degree. And I went from there to, if you want me to go on, I went from there to Digital Equipment Corporation, um, uh, back to, I was hired and and moved back to Pensacola, Florida, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, I'll tell you a great story. When I graduated from college, I had a afro and a gold tooth, right? I want to see that picture, by the way. You got <laughs> we got to dig that one up. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> but you know, this is 1979. You got to think about this. You know, right. I'm, I'm a young I'm a young black man, right? Uh, digital equipment. What they liked about me was number one, my customer experience, uh, service experience that I had because I worked at a hospital. You know, during my tenure in college, right? And then secondarily, my and I had a 3.8 GPA, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming out. So I understood, you know, the technology that they were looking for me to work on, right? And so regardless of, you know, my gold tooth and my fro, 1979, like today, they, people would be looking at you like, oh, man, you got fro and a gold tooth, right? Because <laughs> you know technology. But back then, it was about your brain, right, because everything was about what you knew, right? And so you did all these tests and evaluations. 
But anyway, so I ended up getting a job offer from uh, Digital Equipment. I also got a job offer from uh, Motorola uh, as well down in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but I chose Digital Equipment, you know, because it was, you know, where it was. My mom didn't want me to move to Pensacola. She wanted me to go to Fort Lauderdale to Motorola. <laughs> ah, now, I'm trying to remember which company. You remember the Vax computers, the Vax 1170? Was that digital or was That was, was Digital it? Equipment Corporation. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I yep. remember working we had, on those. We had the okay. PDP 11s. We had right, the Vax. Right. We, had all, we had all of these uh, major. And then we were the, actually the front end of GUIs because we had these deck writers that right. speak to a lot of mainframes. And we had figured out a, a, what we look at today, which is called a API. Right, right. Yeah. but we had a hardwired API from the deck writer to these mainframes. Right, wow. Yeah. So, how long were you with uh, digital? Because I think somewhere along the line, in me talking with you, and I hope I don't get this wrong, you also worked offshore somewhere. Uh, am I getting yeah. that right? Yeah, uh, you're wrong, Frederick. I'm right. no. <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> well, no, how what you're thinking you about, but no, but what a, you're thinking, I'll just kind of tell yeah, you what help you're me, thinking help about. Help me out here. Offshore is what you're thinking about is when I worked with uh, JDL Technologies. And right. then what we did is we did the entire technology rollout and design for the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, right? that's what I, yeah, yeah. For K-12. So we, right. we worked, but but coming out throughout my, my career, what I did is once I left DAC, I went to... Um, General Electric, and then uh, I was I was a national, um, you know, engineer for them, and I did data communications, you know, all of that stuff, and then I ended up uh, here uh, at Control Data, right, in 1986 in Minnesota. That's where I'm now, right. Okay. But but there there's all kinds of stuff that goes on between all of that, right? But that's good. That's it's all good stuff where I ended up. Wow, you know I mean? I'm learning here. Uh... I also worked for General Electric uh, back in the 80s. I think I was in their Department of Defense Systems Division, kind of top secret stuff that I have to shoot you if I told you about it. And then I also worked at Control Data, uh, both great companies, and I never knew you worked there. Well, by the way, what did you do uh, at, con at uh, GE and Control Data? Sure. So General Electric, what I was is uh, what they call a data communications uh, engineer. Right. So I spent a lot of time in um, the Shenandoah Valley uh, training on a lot of data communication equipment. And this is before networks were really uh, fashionable. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we did is we built out um, modem communications between buildings. Right. And then what we do is we build out to the phone company so then that people could have access to data communication in their building. Uh, through modems, right? Right. right. But, uh -huh. but we were looking at, uh, and these companies were looking at 900 baud, right? Right, right. Uh -huh. 900, 900 baud, baud right now is a, a character a second, right? Like it's <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they were happy about that, right? So uh -huh. I went, I went around, the, I went around the country installing all of these major systems around data communications, right? But one of the things we started to move into was uh, multiplexers, which okay. are now which are now mm -hmm. switches and routers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. through Cisco technology. But I knew a lot about uh, all of that, so I became one of the uh, national regional engineers for them uh, at their level. You know, traveling around doing these major installations. You know, all that. I learned a lot. Right. I did, right. 
you know, I learned a lot with, with them and then moving on to control data where it became. Um, so we control data was building out uh, JK flip flop chips, mm -hmm. right? Uh, which I knew a lot about, you know, in my earlier days in college. So then I was able to land a job, you know, and, and here with the, with the control data at a company called VTC Corporation. Yep, I remember them. Yep, and so we built microchips. So I was an engineer that did all the test test boxes, test solutions around designs and all of that to perfect, you know, if the design worked or not, right? right. Or if right. there's a failure, where's the failure? What's the failure on the test equipment? All that stuff, right? Right. So, so now uh, I was at Control Data also, and I was in that test engineering department. And this is where I'm uh, headed with this. Uh, well, let, let's come at it from this angle. Uh, when you went into the corporate world, did you have any uh, hesitation, reservations, uh, insecurities that you took into that world? And if so, uh, how were you able to uh, overcome uh, those type of uh, self-imposed kind of obstacles? So how did you feel going into the corporate world? Did you feel prepared? Did you feel confident? Uh, did you have any mentors to support you? Just tell me about your early experience in the corporate world, especially in a technical field, right. and which is good and bad. Uh, right. because if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to be in trouble. But if you're sure. good at it, and I tell people my experience are like this, if you're good at technology, it's like being good at basketball or, or, or singing or whatever else you're good at, that people tend to want to treat you fair and keep you and hang around. But that's a long, compounded question. But tell us about your early experience and any apprehensions you may have had uh, going into the corporate world and engineering, computer engineering? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know, because I don't, we, you know, when I graduated from college in 79, I was 20 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was young enough to think that the world was still real, right? So, and I, you know, I had this engineering mind, you know, that was clean and fresh. You know, um, and I can tell you this, I got to tell you my first experience, um, you know, coming out of that world, right? So I get this job with Digital Equipment Corporation, right? And so I go to training and they train me on these this technology that I'm going to be going out to work on, right? And then back in those days, you couldn't just walk in and swap out boards or, you know, you had to really know, you know, and diagnose where, what, where the issue was, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, my first service call was in Mobile, Alabama, right? 1979, okay? Mm -hmm. Gold tooth afro, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm done with training. So I, I get my first service call. So I'm, I'm driving from Pensacola to Mobile, right? Because that's my territory, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just like, bopping over there and I'm like, okay, so get to the company. Uh, it's this big manufacturing company. They got, you know, computers, blah, blah, blah. And I walk in the door of my briefcase, right? And the, and, uh, and the lady goes, uh, may I help you? Right? Um, and I said, I'm here from Digital Equipment Corporation. And she said, hold on, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because she had just seen a ghost, right? So, uh -huh, uh -huh. 
So she, I mean, literally, she gets up at her chair. She goes walking back. And back in those days, can you imagine the manufacturers? The, the, the person in charge always sat at the back with a big office and a window and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. could watch everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So, so she goes back to his office and watching this thing, right? And I'm sure she tells him, hey, there's some blackout here from Digital Equipment. He said he's from Digital Equipment Corporation, you know, blah, 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 right? But, and so as she's walking back to the front where I am, there's people looking out of their cubes at me at the front, right? Mm-hmm. So finally he comes up and I'm like, hey, you know, from, you know, hey, okay, well, I, I understand. But, you know. So anyway, so I go and work on their computer, uh, Lacey, right? Mm-hmm. Determined that they had a bad, you know, microchip, you know, in their system, right? So they overnight me the microchip. I go back there. They're already hesitant about me working, you know, on their computer and stuff. Anyway, the microchip they sent me was bad, right? So when I put the microchip in their computer, guess what happened? It still didn't work. It smoked. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, you know, technology smoke. Uh, it flows quickly, right? I mean, it's like everybody's like, "Oh, something on fire!" It's like, and so, <laughs> of course. He set the computer on fire, right? So now the smoke, poof. So I'm like, ah, no, right? So I'm going, and back then you didn't have cell phones or any that stuff. So you had to use their phone to call. So I had to call, mm-hmm. I had to call my boss back in, you know, Massachusetts, right? Because mm-hmm. that's where I was, where my boss was, right? So I told him what was going on. He's like, well, you know, just, Tell him the part was bad. I mean, what do you, you know, that's all you can do, right? And I did, and I actually ended up, you know, um, they overnighted the part. I got it. I went back, fired the thing up. It worked. It ended up being one of our number one clients. And I'm assuming that somewhere along in this story, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the people who were originally skeptical of you come to respect you and welcome you. Very much and, so. Yeah, and that's generally the way it worked. I told the story when I was interviewed that my first software engineering job, they just came through a listing on my desk, and I didn't know what the heck was going on. But I said to myself, uh, for the first six months, they're going to wonder how I got this job. But once again, going back to something you mentioned earlier, it's about you and uh, your efforts and stuff like that. And I was like, I can put up with that for six months because at the end of that six months, I'm going to be the best in the world at this. And that was my attitude on all of this. So that's a great, great story. So you eventually moved to Minnesota yep. uh, to work for Control Data. and did some great stuff with VTC, and, and that was the high-tech division. I'm pretty much familiar with what they did over there. Oh. Uh, and then uh, somewhere you became... Uh, acclimated. I'm assuming now you, well, let's start here. Tell us about your current family, your current Minnesota family, and we'll work backwards a little bit to find out, you know, where you met your wife and stuff. Did you meet her here in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. But tell us about your current Minnesota family, Fred. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I have three daughters. Mm -hmm. I have three three daughters, uh, Asa, Christy, and Ashley. Uh, They're they're top-notch kids, right? Um, And then my wife is uh, Jolene, uh, of course, right? Uh, Jolene is a first responder, uh, top-notch woman about health. Uh, She's kept me healthy uh, through these years, right? Uh, Through through my medical issues. She's an RN by 
by education, but she's in administration now where she's helping a ton of people, um, especially through COVID, save their lives, right? And then my three daughters are amazing. I have one in Sarasota who uh, does uh, hot, works in hospitality. She's a boss in her area, and she's driving a lot of revenue for our company. Uh, and she's involved in you know volunteering and all of that. My second daughter, uh, she's a graduate of Drake. Um, she's cellist um, uh, by education. She was first chair for three years there, and now she's she lives in Chicago. She teaches. Uh, she's she also adopted Indian dance while she was in college, right? Mm-hmm. And now she's proficient at it, and she does it professionally. So uh, she's involved in Indian dance. She teaches Indian dance now. Uh, she also teaches piano. Um, she's a proficient at piano. And then my youngest, uh, who's Ashley, uh, who's you know a, a ringer like me. So she's a driver uh, in the technology world, where she. Uh, rolls out major um, uh, technology for events and they do events through technology without having um, hands-on you could do it um, register take all your classes do everything through the technology that she's designed and working with so uh, from a family structure standpoint I got you know these kids are amazing um, and it's given me comfort to be able to you know drive you know my kids the way that I was driven as a kid right right, um, right. they all know about education they all know about spirituality you know they all know that you know the world does not revolve around you that's uh, that's key uh-huh. right unless you put yourself out here to revolve around other people right right right, right. so I got some great people in my life for sure. Well, here's the thing, and uh, everybody I've met uh, through uh, my association with you have been great people. They've been quality people, man. You attract yep. quality people, so that says Thank something you. about you. Uh, now, somewhere down the road, you met this RN to be, or maybe yep. she was already. Uh, did you meet her here in Minnesota, in Florida, or somewhere else? Uh, was yeah. She here? Uh, yeah. So, Tell me where you met her at, and how both of you ended up. Uh, you came here for a job or were you together at the time so listen to this my wife and i have been married uh we'll be married this june 40 years right Mm -hmm. uh we dated six years before we were married right so we were just kids so i met my wife when i was 18 and she was 17. um Mm -hmm. and we we she helped me through college Right. Like her family, her mother, man, I would have starved in college if it hadn't been for my wife. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Eating at her house. Our mother and father adopted me, you know, as a son to eat at their house all the time. And we we grew together um, and we went through a lot, you know, as Mm -hmm. as kids, as well as adults. Right. Like she helped me through college. I graduated two years before she graduated. and she went on to Florida State to graduate, and I had already graduated, and um, you know was working for you know other companies and stuff. But so we've always supported each other, you know, a hundred percent in things that we do. And she's always she's always supported me in, in a lot of my endeavors that I that I've been in right. and involved in. Well, I think one of the keys that you said you went through a lot, and when I try to explain to people. Uh, marriage is not always about happiness. It's about 
negotiation and endurance and going through a lot together, the wow. good and the bad and, and, and looking forward to bigger and better things. I think, uh, uh you pointed, you, you're just making a lot of great points, uh, uh Frederick, yeah. uh, uh, understanding that the world don't, uh, revolve around you. Right. Uh, I just it's, remember one of them, a staple singer song, respect yourself. Right. About walking around thinking that the world owe you something because you're here. Right. And, and, and I see this. Yeah. This, this, this next generation is, you know, it changes each generation. It's like, there's, they, there's they like, hope. <laughs> there's hope. <laughs> like they, they always make the world owe something. <laughs> there's hope. There's hope for the yeah, kids. There is hope. There's always hope. So one uh, of the things that that mm -hmm. you know, one of the points that I really want to get out about that when you mm -hmm. uh, that and and that you were stressing on it, right? So you know, I think people need to really understand. Uh, there's this concept, right, of the pie, right? Okay, and the pie is a great thing, and it's a circle. But you know, there's not been one pie that I've known of in history that's been cut equally, right? It's always cut, you know, some slices are bigger than the others and all of that, right? But the pie makes up the pie, right? Mm -hmm. and, the, and the slice makes up the pie by the way it fits into the pie, right? Mm -hmm. And as humans, what we really have to understand is that we can never be another slice of a pie, right? We're mm -hmm. our own slice of pie that fits into the pie, mm -hmm. right? that makes the pie. Otherwise, if you're trying to be another slice of the pie, it doesn't fit, right? Right, right. And you're leaving your space blank. Right, right, That right. you should occupy, right? Oh, I agree with that, yep. Because yep. we're all put on this earth to occupy our space right. as a piece of this pie, right? right? And what we do is we vacate our space all the time because we want to occupy somebody else's or be that slice of pie when we're, when really God has really given us some amazing ability to be our own slice of pie that right. no one else in the world owns. Right. No one, right. right? And it's so important that you know your slice of the pie, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's an excellent point because I, I feel the same way. Uh, that God has given me whatever I need in life. I already have it. I'm not looking at someone who has a bigger slice of the pie. I'm not thinking about other people's privileges and, and what advantages that they have. I, I've just never thought that way. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast, because there's so many messages out there that mm -hmm. I, ha I have our children thinking that way that it have to be equal and it's unfair and all that stuff. And I just never was never raised on that kind of stuff. And right. I feel sorry for our children who's hearing this constantly every day, because like you, I have always felt I could be anything I wanted to be. And I think you, you feel the same way. Okay. So now you're working at somewhere down the line in your career, uh, Frederick, uh, you transition from this technical guru to some type of management, project manager, or something like that. When did that transition occur? And was it a conscious decision? Uh, I know I made that conscious decision. Looking back on it, I wonder about it. But when did that happen? And do you ever have any regrets of moving away from the technology and technical? So when did you transition into the management type of person that you are now? Right. 
That's a great question, and I got a great answer for that. Mm -hmm. So um, this was uh, 1995. Um, you know, I, I was a manager. I was running um, First Set Computer Solutions, right? Mm -hmm. And I built their technical department. We were doing a lot of technical solutions, deliver, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I lived out in uh, West Bloomington, right, off of Highway 169 uh, mm -hmm. when it was a it was a two-way highway back in that back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, one day we're driving home. My wife and my uh, two kids were driving home. Um, they're in the back. I see this car parked on the side of the road, right? So <laughs> it turned out to be this little convertible uh, MG, right? Mm -hmm. And my wife's like, why are you stopping here? Like, I, I see this car. It's a really nice car. I like this car. And my dream is... And my vision in life was always to have a convertible, you know, and a uh, and a nice little, you know, hat, right? And riding with, you know, wind blowing in my hair. That was and Ray-Bans on, right? probably. Oh, yeah, you know, it's killing, right? <laughs> right? So I saw this car, and I'm like, wow. So anyway, I pull over. Just, I don't know, by the grace of God, I pulled over, you know, got the number off the car, right? And, um, and this is how it took place. And this is an unbelievable story to track with, right? So I got the number for the for the guy. So my wife's like, "You can't get that car. You know, we, it's not a family car. You know, blah, blah blah." Like, "Hey, we got kids and stuff, right? That we we're raising. Like, where's this car fit, right?" Mm -hmm. So <laughs> she's right so, too, by the way. She I know she's right. Told, but... She was totally right, right? Uh -huh. So what I did is I told her, "Well, I'm gonna check." I said, "I'm gonna look at this car. If the car is, you know, something that you know uh, I want, I'll get a part time job and pay for it." Like I won't, I won't touch the family money, right? Good move. Yeah. So anyway, I call the guy, go over to his house, and so we're talking. I mean, we're sitting there talking, just like you and I are, and we're talking about our life, and we we connected. You know, he's very spiritual. I was very spiritual at the time, you know, and still is, right? But you know, just we connected on that level. Uh, I know something about our connection at that time, right? So this is what he does. Honest to God. He goes, Hey, you guys, you want the car? I go, Yeah, but I can't, I can't afford that car. Me and my, you know, my wife already told me, I just wanted to, you know, to see what it was about, how much, blah, blah, blah. He goes, Do you want the car? I go, Yeah, I want the car. He goes, Yours. He goes, Pay me however you can, whenever you can. And gave me the keys. I never, I never signed. Uh, I owe you or anything. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I committed to pay him whatever I could per month. Right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting a part-time job. And then, so my wife, you know, who's very intuitive. Right. Mm -hmm. So I came home and told her all about this, right. You know, Hey, you need to take me and get the car, blah, blah, blah. She goes, he wants something from you. I go, what do you mean? She goes, he wants something from you. I don't know he doesn't. I go, you know, just he's a you know nice guy, blah blah blah. Ha, ha. Eight months later, I ended up going to work with him, wow. right, at mm -hmm. a company called JDL Technologies, right. Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, he went. We went back to that, and what he told me is that, man, what I saw in you is what we needed at our company to to seal the deal with where we were going, right. And these guys were they were trying to start they had started this company called jdl technologies right and it was mm -hmm. when i got there it was just a small group of people right mm 
-hmm. And so I brought that other component that they were looking for. Um, and uh, from there is history when I got into management and all that. And I met this guy who was a CEO of that company, JDL, and I give him kudos. His name was Thomas Lapping, mm -hmm. uh, the greatest um, communicator of detail and structure around sales and sales component uh, in history that I've met. The guy was just amazing at how he uh, understood people and then regurgitate it back to them. And what he taught me and what you see today, Lacey, is he taught me how to listen to what people were saying to me and what they wanted versus what I knew and what I was proposing to them, right? right. Right. And it and it made it very collaborative about, you know, how I learned how to take my technical ability and then move it into more of a management. And and now today, you know, as you're aware of, I developed large scale solutions for, you know, major corporations and stuff. But that was a lot of that, um, you know, that that input that he put into me. Mm hmm right around those details and along the way too, like even through first tech and other companies as you've experienced there's been education components to this you know i've learned a lot about management i've learned a lot about supervising people i've learned a lot about communicating with people i've had you know you get professional psychologists and psychiatrists at mm, this level mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. mental health is very important uh in this type of work right so it's not like you know, I just wake up and pray to God and move on. There's a lot of people in my life um, mm -hmm. that are my support network that make me whole. That is a good input. Now, somewhere uh, after JDL or during JDL, I'm assuming that you ran into the Richburgs, some of both of our favorite, one of our favorite couples. Uh, everywhere. They are just beautiful people. I hope to have them on my podcast. I'm I'm sending this out to Joe by the Richburg. So he can I love Joe. Uh, yeah. I do too. They're both great. Somewhere along the line, though, that you ran into the Richburg and uh, came associated with their company. I think you ended up being vice president there. How right. did that all come about where well, you were uh, vice president at this uh, black-founded uh, black computer company here in the Twin Cities? Fantastic uh, question. So, um, you know, at JDL, we, we ended up, so we ended up growing JDL from uh, like a few of us to 55 people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we ended up selling it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which we all had some stock into the company and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And then we ended up, you know, we closed this big deal. We did a lot of work and we wrote a lot of technology plans. Uh, we did, you know, the U.S. Virgin Islands. We did Gary Community School Corporation. We also did the technology plan for Chicago Public Schools. Right. So we wrote mm -hmm. all of the infrastructure design and rollout and all of that stuff. Right. So anyway, at my tenure, my at my tenure at the end of um, JDL, we closed our last deal at JDL. I was roasted. I had did like 10 years travel straight. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, leaving on Monday, coming home on Friday. So I ended up um, taking a year and a half off. Right. Of work. Mm -hmm. Chilling. Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway, so I ended up uh, going back to work for a company called Sovereign, right, mm -hmm. as a consultant. So I consulted with uh, Sovereign around their sales and technology rollout and you know, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I go to Camp for United Methodist Church, right? 
Right. That's, uh-huh. that's where I'm churching at now. So right. Dorothy, Dorothy started to go to Camper Memorial, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we developed a ministry around professionals at, at Camper, right? So we were having ministry prayer groups and, you know, things like that, right? So anyway, in, in the prayer groups, we would all share, you know, what our background is and, you know, all of that stuff, right? So I was sharing my background in there and talking about what I was doing and all this. So one Sunday, I'm coming in to go teach Sunday school, and Dorothy's, like, uh, waiting on me, right? She's like, <laughs> Dorothy, and this is the funniest thing ever. No, this is dead, I'm dead serious about this. Like, she, so she's, I'm coming to church. And so she stops me. She goes, hey, I need to talk to you about my company, right? I, I need you. I need you in my company, right? And I'm like, what? You know, and so, you know, and I, I entertained and talked to her about it. So, but uh, on to this, and you talk about great people being in your life. So um, Sue Rose and Lisa Loken, uh, they owned uh, Sovereign Technology, right? Mm-hmm. And they knew what all of the work I had put into JDL and, you know, all this other stuff. And then they knew, you know, what I, what I was in the market and what I was trying to do in my life. So when, so when Dorothy and Joe came to me and wanted me to come to Keystone to run, you know, that stuff, right. They were like, Let's, we want to check those people out. We don't know if they're good for you or not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking? We ended up having we went to we went to dinner uh, downtown St. Paul. Uh, Lisa Logan, Sue Rose, Dorothy Richburg, Joe Richburg, and myself. And Lisa and Sue drilled them about me. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Which was a blessing, right? I mean, they right. cared about me about, you know, because I was going to make a trend. And I had told, I was very honest with them, right? That, you know, I was looking at this other company. I was going to do a transition from, you know, working with them to working with, and then they wanted to be involved, you know, in my life at that level. So I, I just, that's a beautiful story. And it all worked out. I ended up going over to Keystone and we grew like gangbusters and just did a lot in the world. We sure did. Yeah, and then somewhat, and I, I should point out to the audience that some you got involved in Dorothy and Joe of Keystone, the founders of Keystone Computer Solutions. Uh, all of you got involved in the Black Data Processing Association, yeah. and uh, I think you and I did quite a bit with that. I know you work with the Timberwolves and their diversity person over there, uh, and uh, you were working with the uh, Minnesota Black Chamber of Commerce. And what we're really getting into, uh, Frederick, is that I just noticed that you had this network of business people and things that you were involved in. You were volunteering, and you always had energy. By the way, I don't. I, I mean, even when we, I mean, because some of those banquets and things it could get rather long, and we used to have some happy hours. And, but you always had that energy. Bottom line, though, how eventually did you get involved in the Black Data Processing Association? Yep. So uh, uh, Dorothy and Joe are, you know, they are pioneers for the Twin Cities area, right? Mm-hmm. And so they had always been on me about being involved, you know, in that group, in that organization, right? Because um, mm-hmm. they wanted, you know, my network and others to be involved, you know, by far. So I actually ended up getting involved with the um, uh, BDPA in 2006, 2005, right? Mm-hmm. And um, um they were proponents of, you know, building a program around 
African American kids being in technology, understanding, you know, the hurdles, uh, what they needed to do as kids to be prepared for the technology feel as they go through their life. You know, there's just a lot to this, as you would, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, around security, uh, all of the things you can take risk on that will eliminate you from being in technology because of security background things, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot. But anyway, so they had this great idea. And so uh, they had to drag me into BDP at first, right? Because uh, I was ducking and dodging. And um, <laughs> so I ended up getting getting involved in BDPA, and now I've been involved for a long time with them, and we've built some amazing programs for kids. And um, I just want to say kudos to you, Lacey, uh, because you supported us uh, when no one else would support us when you were at XL Energy and driving things there, right? Uh, you always stood up. You always showed up. You always made sure executives were at our events to greet kids and you were there which they saw another african-american in technology and a leader in the community and stuff right so you know kudos to you as well because those kids got to see you but uh bdpa is now uh we're growing like gangbusters now we're averaging about 90 kids a year now that we're training and not only training but we're you know providing internships and you know all kinds of other things and programs for the for the children as well. It's been beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, I must say that uh, you and uh, Dorothy and Joe and everybody associated with BDPA, Michael, I forgot Michael's last name, but I remember Michael Wolf. Michael Wolf, Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Wolf and his wife. Uh, that you guys just set a good example. It it, it kind of remind me. Uh, the days when I was growing up with these my these grown men expected for me to know how to ro- do roofing. They expected yeah. for me to know how to lay bricks. And so they just acted like I already knew how to do it. And you guys sure. just set a good example in the environment for me to fit in there. Uh, so also the Minnesota Black Chamber of Commerce, if I recall correctly, you were involved. I don't know how much you're involved now that you were involved in that and trying to uh, help that organization uh how did you get involved with that uh were you representing keystone solutions there or yep. exactly what was your relationship with the uh, black chamber of commerce here in minnesota yeah so i was on the board of the black chamber of commerce uh for several years and and you know our goal obviously was to support black businesses in the state of minnesota right so i spent a lot of time with uh leah hargett as our right. leader um mm-hmm. just an incredible woman Uh, I mean, she gave way more of herself than than she had, right, to others. And, um, you know, she was a great leader about helping transitioning businesses. So I was able to provide uh, my brain to the Minnesota Black Chamber of Commerce to build out where we are now. Um, I think they're doing very well now, but we we kind of built out the platform of communication, the businesses, and just holding up the value of the Minnesota of the Black Chamber of Commerce uh, being an entity which represented Black businesses for the state of Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a very fulfilling um, time that I was there. And now, you know, I'm in so many, I'm on so many different boards um, where I'm trying to help kids and you know people and turn turn their lives around. It's unbelievable. I don't know how you fit it all in, to be honest with you. But before we go, and we we have a few more minutes here, uh, I want you to at least talk about your current situation with UpNet Technologies. I yep. know you guys have got a lot of great things going over there. Uh, yep. uh, you continue to grow, as I see. 
Uh, yep. Tell us a little bit about your current position at yep. UpNet Technology. And what do they do and how do you fit into that whole picture? Yep. So uh, UpNet Technologies, uh, which is an incredible company, uh, we, own a, we own our own data, our own data center. Uh, we deal a lot with privacy, security, all of that, right? But we do what we call EDI, Electronic Data Interchange. Mm -hmm. So we work with a lot of the big box companies, Target, Best Buy, Walmart, a lot of those guys. We do a lot of their back-end uh, data solutions. We probably do about uh, 40 million trans data transactions a month uh, with those entities, right? Uh, we, have, we have over 500 customers on that side. Uh, back in 2012, uh, I joined the company from Keystone, uh, and um, we started to transition more into the uh, supplier diversity, supplier relationship area. And so today what we do is we do a lot of data movement for the super values, um, the 3Ms, all the different companies around the area. We do a lot of what we call supplier diversity tracking mm -hmm. for, uh, for them, right? And we do all of the data tracking and supplier diversity tracking for the University of Minnesota uh, as well. But what that means, um, for the uh, what what that means is that we set up systems and solutions so that their suppliers and vendors and others can not only communicate with them with each other, but they're also visible to the university. They're also visible to the state of Minnesota. They're visible to other suppliers who are trying to find them uh, in these databases. So what we've done at UpNet through our process of working with all these different companies, we've built about a uh, thirty thousand vendors inside our database so that our clients now have access to search for service providers, balloons, you name it. They can right. find these vendors in our database. So uh, again, from where we started in 2012 to where we are now, we have a total solution that's called smart comp, uh, smart composition of data, right? And what we can do is set up a system inside your company to be able to track POs, invoices, relationships with your suppliers, uh, relationship with your contractors. And then we can also do project tracking to make sure that people are on time delivery, whether it be time measurement or financial measurement uh, inside your company. Wow. And I heard, and maybe you can speak a briefly on this without uh, revealing any trade secrets or confidentiality type things, uh, but I heard you were involved with uh, the Minnesota Vikings when they built the new stadium and you helped them with some of their data crunching. But by, by the way, I was in charge of EDI at Excel Energy too, so I'm very right. familiar with what you're doing there. Uh, yeah. But how, tell us a little bit about your involvement with the Minnesota Vikings and the Vikings stadium and what sure. what was the type of things that you did for that you did and are doing for them? Well, that's amazing you asked that question because we just signed a new contract with the um, Minnesota Sports Facility Authority, which manages all the activities for the Minnesota Vikings, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing for them, um, and we you'll see this come up uh, in the next month or so. We're just now uh, building out a new uh, registration page for them. And then mm -hmm. what we're doing, Lacey, is we're tracking all the spend that happens inside the stadium. So from hey. uh, anyone working in the stadium, anyone providing a service to the stadium, or any of the, any of those things, we're tracking all of that activity uh, throughout wow. the stadium. So our technology is going across all of their entities to look at any type of activity that happens from a data 
or spend or money um, um, movement standpoint. So we have a lot going on with the uh, stadium and the Minnesota Vikings. And we're very proud that they've chosen us as a minority vendor, right? Mm -hmm. And they trust us, you know, with all of their data and what they do, right? Because they are a great organization to work for. And what we're going to be doing, Lacey, just to add to that, mm-hmm. we're actually going to be starting to work with them on their uh, DEI uh, area as well, where we're going to be trying to help, you know, illuminate some of the opportunities at the stadium as well. You right. know, to, to there's a lot going on at the Minnesota uh, Sports Facility Authority, uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, that we don't really know about, right, that we could be a part of. And I think once we educate people on the opportunities at the stadium, we'll start to get more participation from uh, not only majority, but minority owned businesses as well. So as one techie who went into management to another, as one uh, Southern, uh, I call myself a country boy, uh, who uh, evolved to another, I just want to say that uh, knowing you personally and professionally, I'm just proud of what you've done and I can understand how uh, you can sell things very well because you listen very well and you do care. And I just see that in you. Uh, right. So we're about, we got a few more minutes here. I'm going to have to do a, a schedule, a second one with, because I never get through everything. But, yeah, but I, I just, before you cut those minutes off, I want to say kudos to you, Lacey, because there's not a, another young man from Mississippi that would take or have the guts to do what you've done from a political standpoint, as well as your professional level as well. I appreciate you as a friend and I appreciate you as a man because uh, you have a big heart for what you're uh, going after. And most people won't do uh, things that are against the grain. And I right. see, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, not, com- and, it's not comfortable. And, and, and believe it or not, Fre- Frederick, I was able to, part of that courage was knowing I had friends and associates like you who would understand and support what I done done when you got uh, someone backing you that you can count on some quality people in your camp uh, that allows you to take risk and put up with the naysayers and comments from people who don't know you. So I really uh, you and uh, Tony Williamson and uh, the Richburg. I got a, a I got frat brothers and everything that uh, I've been out here on the wall with them, and so that's right. what has allowed me to do that. So I really appreciate that. Uh, we talked about the messaging that our young people are getting. Uh, and, and I told you that we want to send out positive messages to them and the can do attitude and spirit that we were raised with, uh, the self responsibility and accountability that we were raised with and just the attitude that we can do anything we want to do. Uh, that's the focus of our program. So I like for you to maybe looking back over your life and the challenges and things and the obstacles and things that you had, leave our young, the young people in our audience with something positive because uh, they're, well, let me put it this way. Uh, the adults that raised me kept the world very simple for me. There was God, there was the world, and there was you. Right. And the world was constant. God was constant. The only variable in this equation is you. Right. And so let's focus on you. So what can we tell our youth who, I mean, they hear so much, so many messages that's focusing on the world and all the things are wrong with the world and all the bad people in the world. And that was never really a big deal for me because right. I knew it boiled down to me and what I had to do. So what message 
uh, would you want to leave with, uh, especially young people out there, right. uh, who has and, and, and really helps to understand your purpose and have goals in life? But just give me a general Frederick Blockton message uh, in life yeah. and attitude and things like that. And let's leave our audience with that. Sure. Uh, one, one of the things I'll suggest, um, you know, uh, anyone who's turned 60 should write a book for our younger generation so that they understand um, the real work it, it takes to become 60, right? And uh, what young people need to understand, there's no trajectory in life that way. Life is like this. Life, mm -hmm. life, life goes all over the place. And you're going to have ups and downs. But you know what? It's about your resurrection, right? And it's about what you want to do with your life to change who you are if you don't like who you are. Or to be steady who you are and don't let others, you know, dictate, you know, who you are. Because you do belong to somebody. And that's G-O-D, right? Mm -hmm. But other than that, you don't have to really report to people or hold them as an intermediary, right? And people need to understand there is no intermediary when it comes to you and the power of you in this world. You don't need to ask anybody or get validation, but everything that you think you wanna do, you can achieve. And the reason that it comes into your mind is because it's given to you to go after. So don't let people stop you from going after your dream um, because they're doing what they're doing. And you know what? You'll always get people, you know, trying to get you to go left or right. But what you got to do is have enough knowledge. And I mean, if you're going to do something, read a book about it. Mm -hmm. Go on the Internet and study about it. Do the research about it so that you have a full fledged understanding of what you're trying to accomplish or where you're going. Don't let people just blurb you. Don't call, don't pick up the phone and call anybody and ask them. You do the research yourself. Then you can ask them and see what kind of feedback you may get uh, from others. But it's really, um, all, I always like to tell my young people this, right? Wherever you go, there you are. Right. Yeah. And you know what? The operative word in that is you. And so if you end up in a place that you're not supposed to be in, it's because you did it, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you have an opportunity, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you are, to always do the things that you dream of doing. Uh, and don't let anybody ever distract you from that. I don't care what you've experienced or what you've gone through, you can always overcome it, you know? And just keep in mind, there's this thing called the resurrection. And you, as a human being, can resurrect. Every time you fail, you resurrect. Every time you fail, you resurrect. And the reason that you fail is so that you can resurrect to the next level, right? So resurrection is, is real in your life, and it continues, it's a continuation, because it doesn't stop until the the, the candle of nirvana is snuffed out right right so uh sound like you need to uh i would promote you from sunday school teacher to minister here uh <laughs> frederick <laughs> based on that uh and you're reminding me of a teddy Pendergrass song called you can't hide from yourself 
Right. Everywhere you go, there you are. And I've been trying to stress to everybody uh, because I really appreciate the fact that the people that raised me had me focus on myself, right, not the world and everything else. So I appreciate that. This has been excellent, uh, uh, Frederick. Uh, you hit on a lot of the uh, things that I like to hit on when I talk to our young people. You talked about the values uh, that you were raised with. You talked about the importance of family and how important that is. You talked about faith uh, and how that is a foundation of your life and it's a foundation of mine. And you talked about quality education. And those are the four pillars that I like to talk about. And I tell everyone, other people might have other solutions, but coming from where I came from during the era that I came up in, I know those things work. Right. And if anybody can just tell me something else work, I'm really to, ready, willing to listen. But I know those things work. And I think we as a community, once we get back to those things, we'll find out that we can uh, address all these issues successfully. So I really appreciate that. Looking forward to seeing you. I got to visit uh, Camphor again. Is it Camphor? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Again, and uh, and say hi to everybody. But I'm looking forward to getting uh, together with you. And perhaps we can get uh, Anthony Tony up from uh, Florida. I think he's he's one of them Florida winter birds down there in Florida, and maybe the three of us can get together like old time sakes and plot some strategy for 2022. Okay, so say hello to your family for me, uh, and Jolene and and the, and the girls. And I understand there's a wedding coming up. You're yeah. uh, marrying one of your daughters off. I hope. Th are they still giving uh, dowries? And you still do you have to give a dowry? <laughs> Hey, do you have to pay for everything, Fred? Let me, let me reach out to your people. I just need, you know, I might have to have a go fund. Go fund me. me. You know? <laughs> well, congratulations hey, on your so wedding. And legacy. thank you very much Thanks also. Uh, yeah. And just some great uh, vibes and stuff. So looking forward to seeing you later on this month. Okay. Uh, thank you, brother. Thank you so Frederick. Hey, Thanks for coming. Okay. See ya. See ya. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone. That was a great interview with uh, Mr. Frederick Blockton. And once again, to show you the type of values and things that we have to have to be successful, that it doesn't depend on the world and what other people think of us and whether they think they're supreme or, or whether they got privileges or anything. It depends on us, our attitude and our perspective and the way we react to things and the godliness and faithfulness in our lives. Uh, that's my message to our young people out there. You can be anything you want to be. And if you don't think so, drop me a line and tell me why you can't be. And I'll show you how and why you're wrong about that. Once again, uh, another episode of Bright Lights. Go out to LaceyJohnson.com. Go out and subscribe. Go out and hit the bell for notification. Support us 100% uh, online store. And we will see you back here next week with another achiever like Mr. Blockton who will tell you their story and what we need to do to get where we want to go. Have a great evening, everybody, from Bright Lights. Bye.